You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right? Yeah? Live out there? Very good. Well, we've got some exciting family news. Um, Asked for permission to do this, so uh, Kristen and JT got engaged last night, so that's, that's exciting. Really happy for you guys. Very good stuff. Well, uh, if you if this is your first time with us, you're kind of getting a taste of what we're like as a church family. I hope you're enjoying that. We're pretty laid back. We're a little casual. We really try to operate as a family because that's who we are as a result of what Jesus has done for us. We have been adopted to the family of God because of Jesus' death and resurrection on, on our behalf and our faith in him. And so we're a family, and I uh, hope that you would love to connect with us. We'd love to connect with you. And so if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and I would love to have an opportunity to, to get to know you after the service. If you want to stick around, we can, we can hang out a little bit, but that, yeah, that'd be great. But this past uh, week, this past Sunday, we started a brand new sermon series that we're calling uh, Foolproof, and uh, it's from the book of Proverbs, which if you don't know, the book of Proverbs is the most famous uh, book in the Bible on wisdom, right? And so we're doing this series to try to help you know how to foolproof your life, because we need to know how to foolproof our lives right now, because, man, life is, like I said last week, life is complicated. One of the things that makes life complicated, if you think about it, is how many choices we have these days, right? You think about, I don't know if you give any time or attention to this before, but the truth is, I think that, that there's a very strong case to be made, and I, I, I think it's, it actually is true, that we live in a day and age and in a country where we have the most choices, most options in front of us in any other time in all of human history. Like, if you just think about it, like, not long ago, the only option you had to watch at night, the only thing you had to watch at night for entertainment was the sunset, right? But now we can spend the entire night just surfing through options on Netflix trying to figure out what to watch, right? That's that's no joke. That's true. Or, like it really wasn't that long ago in human perspective, and it's still this way in some places, right, that your parents got to decide who you would marry. But now we have dating apps, and you can spend hours and hours just scrolling through dating apps to see options of who you want to go out on a date with, right? And so, like, there are so many options options out there, so many choices to be made. And whenever you have tons of choices, that's a good thing in a lot of ways. There's some stuff there to be thankful for. But we know that the more choices you have, the more complicated life feels. Because we also know that not only are all those choices out there, but not all of those choices that are out there are good choices. They're not good opportunities. And you can really choose to do something that is going to lead to great regret and great heartache for you or for others that you love. And you can, the way that you choose to use your time, to use your money, the, the way that you choose who, or who you choose to date or where you choose to work or whatever. I mean, all of those things, if you choose poorly, can lead to great regret. So we need wisdom, don't we? We need wisdom. So our staff sat around. We're trying to figure out what we're going to teach on in the summer. This is, 
you know, kind of far back. But we were like, what, what should we teach on? We asked this question. Okay, in light of our current circumstances, in light of all the choices that we have, and in light of COVID, which is making everything even more complicated, in light of our current circumstances, what would be the wise thing to teach on? <laughs> and the answer was quite clear. The answer was wisdom. So here we are. We're teaching on wisdom. And uh, last week, we began this topic by uh, me challenging y'all to choose to aim for wisdom, to choose to aim for wisdom in your decision-making process. And I gave you a very practical, simple question that would help you do that. Y'all remember what that question was? It's this question right here. It's, It's, what is the wise thing for me to do? And I know that that feels like an elementary level question. Of course, that's the question I should ask, Jake, right? But here's the thing. Like I said last week, we don't always ask this question. I would even argue that we don't often ask this question. When we have an invitation, opportunity, a choice in front of us, we usually ask other questions because we always ask other questions, either consciously or subconsciously, to help us determine what we're going to choose. But they're usually questions like this. We usually ask, okay, well, what's everyone else doing? Or what do I feel like doing? Or what this looks like fun to do? Or what I have permission to do? Or is there anything technically wrong if I chose to do that? We ask some kind of question, but guys, this is, this is a better question. Because this question makes you aim for wisdom. And so I gave you this question. I said, ask this. Anytime you have an opportunity, a choice, a decision in front of you, an invitation in front of you, ask, what is the wise thing for me to do? In fact, I teased it out last week, if you remember. So he said, in fact, the best way to ask this question would be to say things like this. In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my desired future, what is the wise thing for me to do? And when you ask that question, It'll help you grow wise, or at least it will compel you to seek wisdom because you're going to want to know what the answer is to that question. Now, the truth is that if you ask this question, sometimes you'll realize you already know the wise thing to do, right? And so you just by asking this, you can grow wise. You'll be like, I know I have permission technically to do this, or there's nothing technically wrong with this, but it wouldn't be wise. I know it wouldn't be wise. I shouldn't do it. And it's just going to, what's fuzzy just becomes very clear for you, and you will be wiser by asking this and applying it. But there are times when you ask this question, and the answer isn't readily evident, where you're not sure what the right answer is, what the wise answer is. So what do you do then? Well, I touched on the answer to that question last week, but I want to spend more time on it today. So that's where we're going to go. And the way that we're going to spend more time on the question, how do I know what the wise thing is to do, is we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So if you have a Bible, if you want to go there on your phone, that's where we're going to be. Because in this passage, what we see is where wisdom is found and then the way to get there or the way to wisdom, and that we need to know these things if we're going to get wise, if we're going to know the answer to, know how to answer the question, what is the wise thing for me to do? To know that, you have to know where to find wisdom and how to get there. So that's what we'll see in this passage. So let's look at this together. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, says this, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. 
Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. uh, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff in here. Just first point for us this morning. I won't spend forever on this, but it's super important that you see that when it comes to the question, where is wisdom found? The Bible is extremely clear that wisdom is ultimately found and it's sourced and it's located in God. It's located in God. In this passage, see, there's, there's, you see this metaphor. It's used throughout Scripture. It was actually used in the passage we looked at last week in Ephesians 5. You see it again here where life is, is, is uh, the, the term like walking a path or walking is, is, is a metaphor for life, for living your life. Here in verse 6, you see it when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to him. He will make your path straight. What that means is that he's going to make your life straight. And again, notice, according to this, who does that? Who makes your path straight? Who sets the best course for our lives? Who can guide us and keep us from complicating our lives with foolish choices? It's God. He will make your paths straight. And why can he do that? Well, one reason is because he created life. And so he knows the best way to live it. Now, this is not a shocking statement, but it's, it is shocking how often we forget this. Um, God is wiser than you. And God is wiser than me. And God is wiser than the voice of culture, the collective voice of culture. And when, so when we tune our ears to his voice instead of our own voice or to the voice of culture, we will grow wise, and he will be able to make our lives, our paths straight. See, uh, Proverbs 2, verses 6 and 7 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And then Colossians 2, verse 3, puts it this way. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, where is wisdom located? In him. It's in God. It's located in God. That's the source of wisdom. And so if that's where wisdom is ultimately found, then we are wise to ask, how do you get there? How do you get there? The... uh, playing with this whole directional map, kind of how do you path metaphor this morning. And it made me think about um, a time when uh, in college, my, near the, it, was like the, it was the end of my ses- uh, first semester freshman year at A&M. And I uh, was off at school. My parents during that semester moved. And they moved from the house that I grew up in, Cedar Park, to a new, their new house in Pflugerville. And so I'm packing up, and I've got all my dirty laundry right in the car, and we're getting ready to go home for Christmas break, and, and I'm just about to get in the car, and then it dawns on me. I don't know the way home. 
Like, I, I, I've, never, I've never been home, right? I've never been, I'm, it's a new house. I don't know the way home, so I have to go. I don't have a cell phone. I have to go back up to my apartment, get my landline, and call, that's, that's, that was something that really happened. Not that long ago, like 20 years ago. But, like, I had, to, I had to, like, get on the phone and call my mom and ask, like, the most weird question ever. Like, Mom, um, how do I get home? Like, can you, can you give me directions home? Well, friends, in this passage, Proverbs chapter 3, it actually gives us the directions to get to wisdom. And we know where it's located now. This gives us directions of how to get there, the way to wisdom. And here's the first set of directions it gives us, the first step on the path is this. Wisdom, the way to wisdom is that you have to know God's faithful love. You have to know God's faithful love. That's the first step on the way to wisdom. See, uh, look at verse 3. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, initially, like this is kind of hard to understand in the English because it looks like for us, this is just saying, hey, you need to be a real loving and faithful person, Right? But that's not actually what it's communicating. See, if you look closely at it, it's like, well, what does it really mean to like let that never leave you or to bind it around your neck or write it on the tablet of your heart, this love and faithfulness? To understand this better, you have to get that in the Hebrew language that this is originally written in, the words love and faithfulness were two Hebrew words that were always used to describe God's covenantal love for his people. In fact, the word love here is the word hesed, and it's one of the most important words in the entire Bible. It speaks of God's specifically his unconditional, unwavering, loyal, gracious love for his people. And so this is, you could say, better understood. Verse 3 is better understood to, to, to insert, say, let God's love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind his love and faithfulness around your neck. Bind his, or write his love and faithfulness on the tablet of your heart. Like permanently impress his love and faithfulness. Like tattoo it on your heart that daily you got to grasp how much God loves you, how loyal he is to you. Like put another way, you got to know that you know that you know that God is for you. That he truly loves you no matter what. With a faithful love. And you think, okay, well, why is that key to getting wisdom? Well, I talked about it briefly last week. If you remember the end of the message, I said that if, in Proverbs, like it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, why is that? Well, you have to know that God loves you before you will fear him. Because it's actually his love for you. He has undeserved love for you that causes you more than anything else to be in awe of him. That when it comes home to you, that God loves you to this degree, it's like that God of the universe would love me. That he wouldn't withhold anything that I need from me, even not withholding his own life from me, that this is how God is towards me. That's amazing. Now you will highly esteem him. You will revere him. You will be in awe of him because of his love for you, and that will lead you to go to him and say, God, tell me what to do. I want to honor you. I want to live, your, I want to live according to your ways out of this love for you. That's what leads you to fear him. That's what I talked about last week. This is one of the reasons why 
The first step on the way to wisdom is that you got to know, you got to know, you got to know that God loves you. But let me give you one more reason why this leads to wisdom. One more reason is because uh, when you know of God's loyal love, his faithful love to you, it will give you poise. See, so so many times we make really foolish decisions whenever we are in kind of a like crisis moment where we feel like we're in a panic, things are hard and rough, and like you just feel like I got to do something to try to wrestle control back, right? And you're like, in those like moments with panic, you can make some of your dumbest decisions. But if you know that the God who is truly in control of all things, the sovereign God, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, then even when times are hard, even when times are scary, you can rest, and you can take a beat, and you can have poise, and that will help you be able to make a wiser decision. See, God, it starts. If you want to get to wisdom, the way begins with knowing that God loves you, knowing his faithful love. Now, the second thing, second way to wisdom is this. According to Proverbs 3, so you have to trust the God who loves you. You have to trust the God that loves you. See, so look at verse 5. It says, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, <laughs> this is a very famous verse, and I'm afraid that it almost reads like a Hallmark Christian card to many of us, right? It's got a little cliche element to it. But the truth is, this verse has some teeth. It has an edge to it. Because if you really think critically in your own life, chances are you, you don't trust the Lord with all your heart. That most of us, sadly, trust other things other than God a lot of the time. That we look to our reputation or our career or our family or our love interest or on and on. To, pre- to provide us, we look to those things to give us the security or the safety or the significance or sense of value or worth that only God is really able to give us. And so, for example, you look to your career as a thing to make, to make you feel safe, to make you feel secure, to make you feel significant, then that's actually what you are trusting in ultimately. And that's dangerous. And the reason that's dangerous is because whatever you're trusting in the most is the thing that you have tuned your ear to the most. Whatever you're trusting in to give you what you want is the thing that you have your attention and will have your allegiance more than anything else. And so if that thing and God say opposite things. You're going to go with this thing because that's really where your trust is. But friends, if wisdom is sourced in God, located in God, if it's ultimately God where's the source of wisdom, then to listen to anything else above him is to take a step towards foolishness. You want to foolproof your life? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So the question is, is what are you trusting in? Like really, what, what are you trusting? What are you looking to to, bring, to give you the significance, the security, the safety, 
that you want? Is it God or is it something else? Now, you might not know how to answer that question. Like, oh, it's really hard to tell, Jake. Well, let me, let me help you see a, a way to tell if it's actually God that you're trusting in. <laughs> because in this verse, the second half of the verse, it gives us basically a litmus test. But after it's saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Or put another way, that the, the litmus test of whether or not you're functionally trusting God is whether or not you are submitting to, obeying his understanding. So how do you know what his understanding is, how he says to live? Well, friends, that's, that's the word of God. It's helpful to know that the context of the book of Proverbs, the background of the book of Proverbs, all of it is, is the Torah. It's the, the five uh, books in, in our Old Testament. In fact, many commentators make the uh, uh, note that uh, the book of Proverbs is just the law of God being applied to daily life. And so when the Proverbs say, lean not on your own understanding, it meant instead we should submit to God's word, for that's where we find his understanding and how to live. And see, uh, that's why immersing yourself in the word of God, listening to it, Reading it, learning it, meditating on it, submitting to it leads to becoming wise. For in God's word, we find his understanding. We find his ways. We find his wisdom. And listen, we find it in, in two ways. First is like a very simple and nice way. And one is more complex but extremely helpful way. And I want to give, help you see this, all right? So the first simple way that we gain God's understanding for how to live in God's Word is really found in the moral rules in the Bible. Now, of course, the Bible is a lot more than just a bunch of moral rules, okay? But there are some in there. And that's actually extremely helpful. If you want to know what the all-wise God says, the best way to live, you go, you read your Bible, you see that there are rules in there from Him, and you say, okay, oh, Thanks for telling me, God. This is the best way to live. It's very simple. Like, think about it. Like, if you are unhappily married and you meet someone and there's a little chemistry, there's a little attraction, and you think, man, I wonder if. And then you begin wondering, well, maybe I should check this out. Maybe I should see if there's something here. I think this person could make me happy. Should I do this? Well, you take that question to God's word, and he tells you the answer right there. You don't even have to pray about it. It's right there. Do not commit adultery. You made a promise. You're married. Don't do it. Okay? You say, huh, okay. I don't, you know, no pro or con list. Like, it's boom, right there for me. In God's word, you find, like, 20, I make this percentage up, but I think it's kind of accurate, like 20, 25% of all life's decisions. If you want to know why this decision, 20, 25% of all life's decisions right there for you in Scripture. Just read it, and God says, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. It's like, oh, okay. Now I know how to be wise. I can lean on his understanding. And you say, well, what? Go back to that illustration with the, the person having an affair, and you think, okay, well, if that's you, and you're unhappily married, and you hear God say, do, do not commit adultery, you think, but God... <laughs> 
you don't get it? Like, I don't, I don't, because I think that this would make me happy. Don't you, don't you want me to be happy? And I'm not happy. And my wife right now, she's not happy. And don't you want her to be happy? And so like, yeah, and God would say, hey, no, no, no. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight, your life straight. You will grow in wisdom. See, that's the simple way that God's word helps us understand how to live according to God's understanding. But there's a more complex but extremely helpful way, too, that I want to highlight for you this morning. And that is this, that uh, when you uh, uh, let God's word inform you, not just the moral ways to live, the rules of life, but we let God's word inform you about the nature or design and purpose of the story we're in. That, too, will help you grow wise. And it's this part that will give you wisdom for the whole, like, whatever it is, 80%, 75% of all of life that the rules don't directly apply to. This gives you wisdom for all the rest. Now, there's an illustration, and it's really odd. And uh, I'm, like... I heard Tim Keller give this illustration. He stole it from another guy named Alistair McIntyre, who was a Catholic philosopher. He was the originator of this illustration. It's weird, but stayed with me, and so I'm going to share it with you, hoping that it will stay with you too. Because uh, in it, Alistair McIntyre, he he says, okay, let's let's just imagine that a young man walks up to you at the bus station, and he says to you out of the blue that the uh, Latin name for the wild duck is Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. And then he walks away. And uh, McIntyre asks, what would you do with that? Like, how, how would you respond? How would you make sense of that? And he goes on to make the point that the only way to make sense of that event is if you put it within a narrative. That you tell yourself, well, this, this young man, he, he must have been mentally disabled or impaired, which is a sad story, but it would actually make that moment make sense to you. Or McIntyre says another option would be that this young man is actually a foreign spy, which is a more exciting story. And perhaps that was the code word exchange. He had mistaken you for his contact. It was all a case of mistaken identity. And he expected you to say something back, like to quack or something like that after he said that. But you didn't do it. And so like now, now you know, that, that would also make sense of what happened in that thing. You've got to place it within a narrative. Now, when you place it within the narrative, that would determine how you understand it and how you respond to it. Because McIntyre says you would respond differently to a mental patient than you would a foreign spy, right? Well, guys, apply this to something a little bit more or less weird, right? Let's think about money. So if you keep reading in Proverbs chapter 3, after you get to verse, we read through verse 8. Verse 9, the proverb uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And so when you think about money, you think, okay, well, what, what, how do you view your money? How do you treat your money? What do you look to it to provide for you? What, like, just think about your money. How you answer those questions, how you view your money, it really is, whether you recognize it or not, contingent on what kind of story you think you're in. See, according to uh, secular society, uh, we are here by accident. 
And when you die, you just rot. And eventually, when the sun dies, there will be no one around to remember anything you have ever done. And so, the only happiness you will ever have is the happiness that you can have right now. And that will definitely determine how you use your money right now. But guys, what if the story of the world is completely different than that? What if, what if we're actually all created by God? So that absolutely everything that we have is a gift from Him and we are to honor Him with it. And what if the world is fallen, but He has come to redeem it. And one day he is going to renew it and there is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. See, what if this life is not the only life? It's actually just a very small part of your entire existence. Now, in that story, not only will you look at your money differently, you're going to look at all of life differently. You see, it all depends on what story you believe that you are in. See, the Bible doesn't just give us a bunch of rules. That through God's word, he gives us understanding of the story that we are in. A story that is very different than a secular story. And when you understand the true story, it will make you wise. So when you read not just the rules in the Bible, but the narratives and the history, and you read all of it, and you immerse yourself in it, you will begin to understand your part in the story, the design and the nature and the purpose of this story that you're a part of. And friends, wisdom will grow from that. Best definition I've ever heard for wisdom is this. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is becoming competent in regard to the realities of life and to become wise, you have to know what kind of story you are in. We find that in the Bible. And when we lean not on our own understanding, but his understanding, as he has communicated graciously to us in his word, we will become wise. Friends, are you leaning on your own understanding or his? Do you know what he says? Do you understand the story you're in? Are you trusting him with all your heart and all of your ways? Are you submitting to him? See, if you are, you are on the way to wisdom. But if you're not, then be forewarned. You're headed in the wrong direction. See, the way to wisdom begins with knowing, knowing, knowing that God loves you and then trusting the God that loves you. Now, there's one more thing in this passage where it gives us kind of the last step, a step in the direction, so how to get to wisdom, the way to wisdom, and that's, that's this. Um, it says, uh, do not be wise in your own eyes. So here you say, okay, wisdom is found uh, whenever you um, seek it from others who trust God. The wisdom is found whenever you seek it from others who trust God. See, it's helpful to know that the definition of a fool and the book of Proverbs is someone who is wise in his or her own eyes. Definition of a fool in Proverbs is someone who thinks they're wise, someone who thinks they're wise in his or her own eyes. And that's foolish because you can never see all there is to see from your own perspective. See, like in this room, 
I can see a bunch of things that y'all cannot see. However, y'all can see some things that I cannot see, like who's checking Facebook or Instagram right now instead of paying attention to me, right? See, the only way that we can get a full account of everything that's going on in this room right now is if we leaned on everyone's perspective. Now, if that is true about something as static as this room, then how much more true is that of something as complicated as your life? See, a fool only sees things through his or her own eyes. But a wise person is the opposite of that. A wise person sees things through the eyes of many, through God's eyes and through the eyes of those who trust God, friends, community, MC, church family, trusted counselor. See, a defining characteristic of a wise person throughout the book of Proverbs is someone who listens to and heeds the wisdom and advice of others. In fact, that is the context, if you will, of Proverbs chapter 3. I mean, remember how it began? My son, do not forget my teaching. Like, learn from me. I know things you don't know. I have wisdom I want to offer you. Please learn from me. Of course, our individualistic culture teaches us to do the opposite of this. Make your own decisions, we're told. It's your own life. It's your life. No one can understand it like you can. You don't have to do what anyone else says to do. No one can possibly understand the complexities of your life. You just do what you feel is right. But friends, hear this. It is your life. But you can't see it. You can't see all there is to see in it. And not only can you not see all of you there is to see in your own life, but you can't see all there is about the story that your life is a part of. And so we need other eyes. We need the wisdom of others to help us see what we can't see and to help us understand the story that we don't fully understand at times. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Big step in seeking wisdom is to seek wisdom from others, to seek and heed the advice of others. And let me just real quick say that this does not look like telling others about a decision that you already have made and just hoping that they will affirm it, which is what I see a lot of times happen within the church. See, that's not looking for wisdom. That's just looking for affirmation. And so what I really want to encourage you guys to do is that early on in the process, you tag your MC, your huddle, your friends, right? And you say, hey, hey, I'm batting around an idea. And it's a big thing. It would have major implications on my life. And so I need your wisdom. Will you enter into this process with me? Will you help me think about, should I take this job? Should I move? Should I adopt? Should I get married? Like all of these big choices, you don't decide. Well, I've already decided. Now will you affirm it? No, no, no. You, while you're still trying to make the decision, you're seeking the wise thing to do, you invite input from others. Don't be wise in your own eyes. See, guys, that's the way to wisdom. Knowing God's faithful love, it begins there. And then trusting in the God who loves you. And then finally, seeking wisdom from others who trust God. Now, 
If that's the way to wisdom, let me ask, are you headed in the right direction? Are you headed in the right direction? If you're not, then a good question would be, well, what could have the power to reroute you? What would have the power to change your direction so that you would start heading the right way? And friends, I know of no greater power to compel us down the road of wisdom than the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the gospel of Jesus is the true story of how God himself became like us, took on flesh, and willingly died in our place. See, he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And see, through this true story, we can know that God loves us. This is the demonstration. This is the proof. This is the ultimate evidence of God's faithful love, faithful, undeserved, gracious, hesed kind of love for you. And it's this story, the gospel of Jesus, that tells us that he is trustworthy, that you can trust what he has to say because he loves you so much. He died for you. And if he wouldn't, as I said earlier, withhold his own life from you, then he's not going to withhold good from you. That if he didn't withhold the best from you, he's not going to withhold good from you. So you can trust him. You can trust him. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is a power to humble us too. Because in the gospel, we see that we are so sinful, we're so foolish, and we went our own way. And we needed God to die for us. And if that's true, then why would we ever be so prideful to think that we can figure out life on our own? And you let the gospel humble you to a point where you're willing to seek advice from others because you realize you need God, you need others, you can't do it on your own. Friends, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us what we need to compel us down the path towards wisdom. It's the gospel that tells us that God loves us. It's the gospel that tells us that God is trustworthy. And it's the gospel that humbles us that we'll seek advice from others. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org. 